In this podcast, we hear from Safe Lives practice consultant Lucy Giles and Emily McCarran from AGK discussing the effects of COVID-19 on the prevalence of elder abuse and the impact of elder abuse in general. Welcome to the Safe Lives podcast, delivering these podcasts as part of uh, COVID-19 times. This one is looking at older people and domestic abuse uh, during uh, the pandemic. We are really, really lucky to have delivering this podcast, Emily McCarran, who is the Policy Manager for Equality and Human Rights for Age UK. And um, Emily is going to be talking about um, a general kind of overview around older people and domestic abuse, um, and then kind of looking at that uh, specifically in relation to COVID. So thank you very much, um, Emily. So first off, um, how much do we know about domestic abuse of older people in in terms of kind of Age UK's experience? Hi Lucy, thank you for having me on today. Um, So what we know about domestic abuse and older people is that, well, domestic abuse can happen at any age. Um, We know that in 2019, there were over 280,000 people um, between the age of 60 and 74 who experienced domestic abuse in England and Wales. Um, We also know that one in five uh, victims of domestic homicides were over the age of 60. Um, You know, domestic abuse of older people is still a very gendered crime uh, with the majority of victims um, being female um, and the uh, perpetrators are predominantly male as well. Um, and we also know that older people are almost equally as likely to be killed by a partner spouse as they are by their adult children or grandchildren. So that pattern of domestic abuse shifts slightly uh, to include a, a slightly broader range of, of um, perpetrators as you age. And um, in terms of the figures and, and data, and obviously, as we know, you know, there's lots of, uh, lots of caveats around um, data. Would you say, in your view, that they are accurate? Well, yeah, as I said, I mean, the, the data tells us that, um, you know, over 280,000 people um, experienced domestic abuse, but actually, there's a few issues with this, um, and we we know that there are there's lots of underreporting, um, uh, and that the figures don't really tell us the full story. Um, the first, uh, the reason behind this, firstly, is that uh, many older people will face barriers to reporting this abuse or having the the abuse uh, recognised or picked up by professionals and. And this might be because um, older people themselves have um, are experiencing a degree of cognitive or physical decline. They might be uh, too frightened, um, or you know, simply they're dependent on their uh, abuser financially or for their care. But the other important um, issue with this is that um, the the Crime Survey of England and, and Wales, which is the survey that um, gathers data on people's experiences of crime, including those experiences which aren't reported to the police, which is very important, uh, an important part of that survey. What they call the self-completion module of this survey, so where people actually are self-completing it themselves, uh, it only gathers data uh, on domestic abuse from, for people up to the age of 74. Uh, so 
and, and, and interestingly, um, this upper age limit for respondents was only changed in 2017, so really three years ago. Before that, it was just 59 years old. So, you know, up to a couple of years ago, it was, uh, you know, we only knew the incidence of domestic abuse up to the age of 59, and now it's up to 74. And this, you know, effectively cuts out a really big section of, of older people. Um, and we're, we're kind of asking, you know, would this be acceptable for any other age group? Um, so, I mean, we're very concerned that there's a whole section and, and of older people experiencing domestic abuse who are, um, put it frankly, suffering uh, in silence. And, and would you say, I think it's really interesting when you um, talk about the kind of reporting um, issue, for, uh, because certainly, um, you know, some of the work that Safe Lives did, it was in partnership with um, HUK, um, was that actually it's even more important that all uh, partnership organisations um, understand domestic abuse and older people and identify it, because actually, although, although it's a very broad um a broad thing to say is that actually they're less likely to report and be involved with specialist domestic abuse services um so actually uh that terms of kind of reporting um it's why that everyone has a kind of responsibility to look at that and not just rely on specialist domestic abuse services um yeah that's sorry go on no, no, you go. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, do you, th do you think there's any other impact that that lack, lack of data collection has? Yeah, well, the, really the impact of um, the lack of data collection is that um, specialist uh, services and other support structures just don't, are not aware of the needs of older victims and necessarily if they don't know about the incidence of domestic abuse and they won't be able to structure their services accordingly if they don't have that information to shape the services. Um, so, you know, essentially older victims of domestic abuse are not being identified or, by, or being seen necessarily by these specialist support services in the numbers that we would expect. Um, and also it means that services are not being effectively targeted at older victims and survivors and therefore you know those services that are available may not be necessarily meeting the needs of bold victims of domestic abuse for example um, accommodation services may not necessarily be able to provide to someone who has some who has limited mobility um, there might be a need for housing adaptations um, so they're just not being geared up for um, older victims in the way that, that they need. And I think some of that comes across, doesn't it, in some of the kind of consultancy work that's happened around interviewing uh, older people, um, especially kind of some of the work, that, the brilliant work that's been done by the uh, Welsh Commission for Older People. And actually older people themselves um, sort of seeing as like those kind of specialist services not being for them, um, and a lot of the kind of feedback has been around, well, actually, you know, um, younger people with children need those services more than me. I've lived with this for 20 years, you know, it's those you know, people with you know, little children. Um, and I think that's a kind of another barrier. But do you also think as well, um, especially when we talk about reporting and disclosing and kind of meeting older people's needs, is that one of the... Um, 
issues around is, is around care and carers around domestic abuse. So that kind of relation, um, that sort of relationship between, um, or rather that kind of myth of like, oh, it's carer stress. So an incident happens and it's an older person caring for a partner or a spouse or a family member, oh, it's carer stress. What, 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 what do you think about that kind of relationship? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it would um, it it's a, a very difficult situation. And I mean, what we do know about domestic abuse is that um, it, there is it, it involves an abuse of power um, and control over one person by another. And obviously, um, it, you know, many carers out there face um, difficulties and stresses. Um, but where there is a, abuse, um, you know. In, in a caring relationship, the victim is, you know, is likely to be dependent on that person, um, abusing them for their care. Um, and, and in many instances, those victims aren't accessing the support that they need. Um, and, I mean, ultimately, that care relationship is an intimate relationship. Um, and, and in this, uh, you know, which is why, um, we, you know, we see evidence of this relationship um, there being kind of abuse, you know, many kind of abuses of power. Um, and, and, and I guess what I was saying earlier about that kind of broader range of, of perpetrators here, this is where this gets played out. Um, because what we see um, is that within that care relationship, it might be a family member or, or another kind of non-family member who has moved in with them to provide that care um, and but essentially that that abuse still mirrors that seen in other abusive relationships, which is why we, we've you know we've kind of tried to highlight this issue um, with the domestic abuse bill as it as it goes through Parliament. Um, that that type of abuse um, within that care relationship needs to be recognised as a, as a as a type of intimate abuse. I mean, you've touched on uh, some of these points um, earlier, Emily, but what other kind of barriers do you think sort of older victims of abuse face getting support and help? Yeah. I mean, I've said, I've mentioned how um, older people, um, you know, particularly if they're receiving care, um, it will be very difficult if they're reliant on that person, um, if they've, you know, to, to seek um, support outside of that care relationship, particularly if there are, is any um, cognitive or physical decline. But I think also if domestic abuse has, has occurred within a long-term relationship, there's a, a feeling, I think, for many older people that it's gone on for so long, um, it may just feel completely unresolvable. And I think you also touched on this, that um, particularly many older women who have been to victims of abuse have you know feel that um, domestic abuse services are not for them really they should be it's a finite resource and, and younger women and children should be able to access that so they don't seek um, support in um, in the way that we would hope um, which is why we have identified um, and we're calling for this in the, in the domestic abuse bill um, to really highlight the role of healthcare professionals because they're in a really um, good place uh, to recognise um, the abuse 
of domestic abuse as it might appear to them. Um, and where you know we've highlighted GPs, but particularly healthcare professionals in hospitals, because it's that at that point of admission and often discharge, when that older person, that older victim, is often it's the only time they're by themselves without um, the perpetrator. Uh, so it's a really good time um, for healthcare professionals to be able to um, support an older person. Um, and on that basis, we're calling and for um, more training for healthcare professionals, mandatory ongoing training for GPs, practice nurses, other hospital staff in how to recognise and support an older person who may be experiencing domestic abuse. Um, and uh, again, we're sort of highlighting the role of hospitals in that process as well. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. And, and kind of healthcare, I think, obviously, you know, across kind of all ages in terms of domestic abuse, but absolutely, I think specifically with older people, um, because there's such more kind of, you know, lower research suggests much lower chance of them being identified by police or uh, by the services. So totally. um, do you know any sort of thoughts about what else is needed to better support um, to sort of better support kind of older people who are experiencing domestic abuse? Well, housing certainly plays a role um, because we know that older victims of abuse, um, particularly those with problems with physical and cognitive capacity and physical isolation, often find it difficult to leave perpetrators of abuse and their, their homes. Um, we also know that there you know, is a lack of specialised services for victims um, with disabilities and for older women, which forces them to stay in abusive relationships. Um, and often the only alternative option to um, adapted housing um, is uh, mainstream residential care, which is also in, in shortage. Uh, so, you know, we're calling for um, long-term resettlement support older victims of domestic abuse in order to sustain their tenancies um, and also just more broadly this ties in with um, the need for um, a much better funded uh, social care uh, service and, uh, and sector um, and, and, and generally schemes to address domestic abuse and an increase in the overall supply of uh, affordable social housing. I mean they're big issues but they all tie in together. Yeah. And, and um, kind of would you say uh, in, in terms of kind of rurality also has an impact on that as, not as well and, and in a way that those are kind of other barriers. So people who are uh, victims who are living in very isolated rural um, vicinities um, and often their only option is to um, kind of be moved literally down the road. And when we were sort of doing case audits around older people, when housing did move people it was literally to the end of the street and, and as we know it's hard enough for victims to kind of be the, the the one that's expected to leave um but especially with older people when all their networks you know might might be in that particular vicinity as well that's kind of really challenging so in terms of uh i guess kind of focusing on covid19 um specifically how do you think overall it's affected the lives of older victims well i mean overall i mean covid19 is obviously a huge uh, it's a public health emergency 
Um, and it is really clear um, that older people have been very seriously affected by the virus in, in, in the many ways. I mean, the most immediate issue that they face during this pandemic is the risk of severe illness and death. Um, and, you know, we also know that older people in need of care and support have been rendered very vulnerable um, by virtue of their circumstances and certainly um, in the community, but um, obviously in care homes as well, there have been very high numbers of deaths uh, arising from COVID amongst older people. So it's, it's a really, really um, a serious virus that has affected older people significantly. Um, the implementation of lockdown, um, you know, as a response to the virus um, has had a very wide-ranging impact on older people. Um, and we've seen a lot of those challenges that they might, might face, um, you know, in, norm, in normal day-to-day -day life, um, such as accessing goods and services, loneliness, mental and physical well-being. All these things have been very much undermined by the lockdown and, and we're seeing um, very worrying signs um, of, you know, malnutrition, frailty, falls and loneliness. And, and you know, this all kind of paints a picture, um, you know, and as well uh, that social distancing measures have undoubtedly isolated older people um, even more, particularly older women um, who are suffering domestic abuse. Um, and, you know, it's, they are almost completely or have been during this lockdown completely shut off. Um, and the barriers to reporting this abuse, um, such as physical and mental capacity, uh, and, and, you know, even being able to visit a GP, those opportunities to have that abuse, either report that abuse or have that recognised, have been completely um, removed from them. I mean, I think it's important to highlight the fact that uh, during this pandemic, during this lockdown, we've all been completely uh, dependent on the use of the internet for work, for contact with family. Um, but the numbers of older people um, who don't have access to the internet or who don't use the internet are really significant. I think we have about 3.6 million people over the age of 70 who aren't online. So that, um, you know, that kind of one source of communication or lifeline out of the home has, is cut off. Um, and, you know, we know that without being able to access family, people's social networks, support systems have um, been damaged and we, we worry that they have also been irreparably damaged as well. Um, and whilst domestic abuse charities have reported generally significant increases in calls to their helplines. Um, we are unclear as to, you know, whether older people are, are reaching out. Certainly um, at Age UK, we have in, received an increase in calls from concerned relatives, um, but very few contacts from older victims um, and themselves. And we just, we believe that this is... Um, very likely to be due to the fact that older victims just have limited opportunities to seek support um, rather than there being less prevalence of abuse. Um, and again, I would just to say, you know, people haven't been able to go to the GP. Um, so, and we also 
know that older people, um, they are not accessing healthcare um, when they need it, even though they are, you know, they have been entitled and they have been, you know, essentially, but they are frightened um, of leaving the house because of, you know, they are very frightened of the virus. Um, and also a fear of overburdening the NHS at this point in time. So this has held people back. And we know that um, A&E attendances have dropped about 29% compared to last year. Um, and uh, there's been, you know, a 75% drop in urgent cancer referrals from GPs. So people just aren't seeking help from, from health professionals. Um, and so, therefore, um, those opportunities to report abuse are just not there. And we're very, very worried about those um, older victims who um, uh, are experiencing domestic abuse. Yeah. And I suppose it's kind of, uh, I, I, listening to you talk like that, something that I has just come into my mind that I hadn't thought of is that also, I guess, it's obviously the, the, the pandemic is unusual in itself, but it's particularly unusual in terms of there hasn't been anything where when people have been hospitalised, um, which have like, you know, usually older people, that although on one hand, you know, part of the thing is that they haven't been able to see anybody, which is very unusual with illness mm. um, per se, isn't it? So on one hand, you can kind of say, well, you know, the perpetrator may have been kept from them. But on the other hand, the people around them who might have been able to support have also had to be kept away as well, isn't it? And I think that, for me, what makes it so, so unusual as well. In terms of um, social care and COVID, what, what do you think the impact is there? Well, there is a link between uh, support for older people experiencing domestic abuse and that provision of social care. Uh, because social care um, essentially enables older people uh, to live um, independently in the community. Um, and this provision of social care um, to enable people to live, you know, independently um, and autonomously, um, this also challenges and changes some of those quite negative dependency structures um, that we've talked about with, um, within that care relationship. Um, and this allows for healthier and safer relationships. But, I mean, what the pandemic has laid bare is that um, there are, you know, I mean, there, there were existing, you know, deep and systemic inadequacies in that social care system. I mean, the system was already at crisis point. Um, and this pandemic has really revealed the true extent of that impact um, that underfunding it had on the system's ability to respond and support people um, at a time of, of crisis, which is really what this pandemic is. And, you know, what we're seeing is that um, in the community, the lockdown has affected uh, people's ability to access the care and support that they need to um, live independently and sustain their health and well-being. They've lost their usual support networks of informal support, you know, family coming over as well, I guess, to alleviate some of those pressures. Um, and also um, we're seeing evidence that some older people, again, because of that fear of the virus, they have discontinued um, their domiciliary uh, care services, um, which is leaving them to struggle um, 
you know, to manage essential tasks. Um, and also that informal carers, many of whom are women, are left to carry a greater burden of care, um, it, you know, at the same time with reduced access to um, external support and care. Um, so, where, you know, it all ties in again um, that, you know, this is linked to the need for a much, um, you know, a comprehensive funding package for social care um, that meets the needs of older people and in informal carers. Um, because many older people experiencing domestic abuse, um, you know, are, you know, need that extra support. They may not always want to leave the home, actually. They might just need, ex, you know, some type of support, day services, extra support, um, you know, having a break from someone coming in. Um, and, and that's just not, that wasn't really happening anyway before the pandemic, but now it's really obvious that um, people are struggling and they need better social yeah. care. Yeah. And I think what you've highlighted there is absolutely key. You know, there's had to be a bit of a kind of culture shift in domestic abuse services, per se, um, and that's kind of happened. And it certainly needs to shift in society as a whole that in order to support somebody that's experiencing domestic abuse, you know, the goal doesn't have to be for them to leave. That might not happen. It might not be realistic. They might not want to. And with older people, that's a specific issue. So it is about exactly as you say, that actually work can be done within the home, um, uh, definitely. In terms, and, and the other thing that I'm just thinking as, as you're talking as well is it's interesting, um, and I know this is a bit of a generic thing to say, but over the past kind of four months, a lot of the kind of, well, the packages that have been put in and talked about really as a whole, it's still geared towards younger people, isn't it? Sort of, you know, people under sort of 50. So in terms of looking ahead, um, what, what sort of are your thoughts um, around kind of going forward in terms of Age UK and kind of ideas and et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, we, we are um, obviously out of that extreme crisis point with this virus where, you know, we saw the peaks in April and we are starting to see some of those lockdown measures um, being eased. Um, and um, but it is clear that the virus is still with us um, and the government has been very clear um, that some level of social distancing will be the new normal for a considerable period of time. Um, obviously, there's kind of a need to balance those measures to resume economic and social activity, but um, there needs to be uh, measures to suppress the um, the, you know, the reproduction rate of the virus. So uh, older people will um, be asked and other people um, to, you know, to stay at home as much as possible in some way. And I guess whilst we can come out and people are, are able to come out, um, there are, is still a risk that um, many older people will stay at home and still face those same um, yeah. barriers. Um, and also the virus um, still poses um, clear risks to um, people's mental and physical health, uh, their financial well-being um, and social participation. Um, there are still issues for people who rely on essential services. Uh, people living in care homes still face um, considerable risk 
um, and it, and those in receipt of um, healthcare um, must be actively protected from the enhanced risk, you know, um, sort of engendered by their circumstances. And I guess going forward, so it's really obvious that some people will be at home a lot more. Um, going forward, um, you know, we've, we've been urging the government that the needs of older people who are at risk of experiencing domestic abuse must be considered, um, along with all victims of abuse, um, as part of the government's continuing response to the pandemic. Um, whether that is looking at funding for older people in some way, you know, specialist service. But I think that um, a, a key uh, point of, interve of intervention is, you know, as lockdown measures ease um, and GP and hospital appointments resume, um, healthcare professionals, uh, GPs, people, other people, other professionals working with older people need to be looking out um, for the needs of older uh, domestic abuse victims, um, again, a particular at that point of hospital admission and discharge. But, uh, you know, we are seeing an increase in some hospital, uh, in some medical appointments being offered online. And I think that professionals will have to go that step forward in reaching out to older people um, and checking in and making sure um, and just, because it's just going that bit further in this, in this instance because people are so hidden. Um, from professionals and other family members. And I think the same applies to friends and families and neighbours to be really just kind of like keep being more aware at this particular point in time of those older people who potentially are very hidden. Uh, and this really will have to continue, um, particularly if it looks like older people um, will be encouraged to stay at home until a vaccine or, or other treatment um, is discovered. And I think um, that the sort of the reaching in work that we've done um, at Safe Lives, I think it's particularly pertinent for older people. You say that actually as a society, we, we all have that kind of responsibility to kind of reach in um, uh, to people. And I sort of imagine um, the uh, huge swathe numbers of people that volunteered from the, for the NHS through this kind of period. You know, one would hope that that work continued, even as we come out of lockdown as you say the older people are probably going to be the group that have to stay in the longest that actually um their sort of input could be absolutely vital um is there anything else you'd just like to add at all emily as, as we finish or any kind of thoughts or yeah i, I just to say um uh, to i mean lucy i think you'll be pointing out the numbers the contact numbers at the end um, but just to remind people that this is a very hidden, um, you know, area um, and it's not obvious to people. People often express a great deal of shock that older people experience this. Um, and just to be aware that this is happening to older people and in significant numbers um, and it's not so obvious and that older people aren't speaking out about it um, in the way um, that we, we we would hope that they they should. So just to be very aware, to keep an eye out, and to um, be conscious of what's happening, um, and call the various kind of support numbers that that you'll um, list at the end of this chat. Brilliant. 
Thank you so much, um, Emily. That was excellent. Thank you so much for delivering um, this podcast. And, and yes, when this is um, uploaded, we will provide uh, relevant links uh, to support that information for people. So thank you very much. Thank you, Lucy.